Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Sullivan. On the program today, COVID confusion. They're still all in various stages of trials. And as much as we are, are uh, signing, have signed contracts around delivery dates, we know there are many uncertainties still to come. With everything, we work out an agreement with provinces and territories of how best to equitably share with the resource, whether it's personal protective equipment or most recently rapid testing. And that's exactly what we'll do with vaccines as well. Who will get the COVID vaccine? When will it arrive? Three provinces have made specific announcements about this, but the federal government refuses to back them up. Why the confusion? When will the federal distribution plan actually be revealed? We asked the procurement minister, Anita Anand, about that and how this rollout will happen. And then former Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne weighs in on the scrum. Plus, lockdowns coming going into lockdown and supporting businesses while we're in that lockdown is a better way of ensuring their success in a few months, in a few years, than trying to tough through a virus uh, that is um, running around unchecked. Chilling new projections of up to 60,000 new cases per day by December. Will provinces go into lockdown? Does the federal government need to step in and have a nationally coordinated plan? We're joined by the Manitoba Premier, Brian Pallister, whose province is experiencing a massive spike, and by the Intergovernmental Affairs Minister, Dominic LeBlanc. Plus, forgotten pandemic. Another major consequence of the pandemic is the opioid crisis, with overdoses and deaths again on the rise. Opioid deaths have spiked in the last year in what's called the forgotten pandemic. Is it time to decriminalize simple possession of all drugs? That's what Vancouver wants to do, should the federal government support them. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart joins us on that. And Green Party leader Annamie Paul joins the scrum on the Liberals' new climate legislation. Is a net zero plan for real or is it just greenwashing? We find out. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. We are anticipating that we would be receiving approximately 465,000 doses of the Pfizer product and approximately 221,000 doses of the Moderna product. I just talked to senior officials in, the, in our, our Ministry of Health. They did confirm, they spoke to someone in the federal uh, government, uh, the senior officials in, in health, I presume. And uh, for planning purposes, they told us that we would get uh, uh, 1.5 six million uh, doses from Pfizer and 800,000 uh, doses from Ontario. The federal government has secured an initial batch of six million doses to be delivered in the first quarter of 2021. Four million from Pfizer and two million from Moderna. Of those, Saskatchewan will, re will receive approximately 180,000. Hope and confusion. Look, there's a lot of hope that in the new year, millions of Canadians might receive some COVID vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna if they get approved from Health Canada. But as you just saw, while three provinces are promising people specific numbers and doses in a January timeline, the federal government is saying, slow your roll here. Why will they not confirm the specifics? In fact, the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Health told me on CTV Powerplay this past week, he doesn't even know where the the Ontario Minister of Health is getting her numbers. So why all the confusion on the most important issue facing so many Canadians? Are the provinces raising false hopes to avoid dealing with the dire COVID situation? 
talk about that and the rollout plan. We begin today with the Minister of Public Services and Procurement, Anita Anand. Minister, let's start with vaccines because there's a lot of confusion between the provinces and the federal government on this. Should Canadians trust, for example, the Ontario Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, when she gave specific numbers that Ontario will receive 1.6 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine, 800,000 doses of the Moderna in the first three months of 2021? Is she right? We cannot specify the numbers or delivery dates specifically other than that they should be in the first quarter of 2021 if all goes well because the key point is when Health Canada is going to approve these vaccines for distribution. It would be imprudent for me to say specifically what the numbers are to each jurisdiction. What I can say is that we are in negotiations and discussions with the provinces and territories and across government to ensure that when a vaccine is approved by Health Canada, it will be distributed. Rest assured, we are putting in place logistic systems to ensure that we can indeed okay. distribute. Uh, along the lines of refrigerators and freezers. We have procured 126 freezers in particular that can be stored at very low temperatures to accommodate the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Okay, there, there's a lot of information there, so and, and, and I'm really glad to get the facts, but it is a significantly different message than we heard this past week. So, you know, you've got uh, Dr. Dina Henshaw, the Medical Officer of Health in Alberta, saying specifically that province will get 680,000 doses of COVID-19. And again, um, the Doug Ford and Christine Elliott in Ontario say, hey, we've spoken to people, we know how many we're going to get, and we know we're going to start rolling them out. So where are they getting these specific numbers? Are they simply spitballing and extrapolating based on the, the aggregate number of vaccines that the federal government has procured? There are negotiations and discussions occurring at the current time. And it is my estimation that that is exactly what is happening, extrapolating from the very preliminary conversations that we are having with the provinces and territories. From a procurement standpoint, Evan, what's really important to recognize is that we are putting in place the logistics and distribution system so that the vaccines can be transported to the provinces and territories once they are approved by Health Canada. But Minister, Pfizer's already said they'll be able to roll out vaccines within hours of approval. Again, the opposition is asking you time and again, when will your government tell us what the distribution plan will be? How many vaccines will be made as soon as Health Canada gets the approval? When they'll get distributed? And who will get them first? Why is that plan? I mean, we, we could be weeks away from having this. Why won't you release that plan? Well, Evan, let me just say that there is a process for developing and finalizing these plans. And part of that process is having the conversations with 13 different provinces and territories who have governments in place that are in charge of distributing health care in those provinces. It would be highly imprudent for Anita Anand or any other minister in this government to simply dictate what a plan would be without ensuring that those negotiations have occurred and that the provinces and territories are well on side with the distribution plans. And that's 
the level of conversation that's okay. occurring right now. Okay, but but I, I still don't know the, when, and it could be weeks away. You said you've procured 126 freezers. The freezing is going to be a big part of the, it's called the cold storage chain of, of this vaccine, yeah. as you well know. Yeah. How many yeah. do you need to, to vaccinate every kid? How many free, what's the target freezer number and when will you get it? Well, we have, as you know, procured 20 million of the uh, Pfizer vaccine that must be stored at minus 75 degrees uh, Celsius. And so what we have procured right now uh, is we've put two contracts in place uh, for the purchase of 26 freezers at minus 80 degrees Celsius and 100 freezers at minus 20 degrees Celsius. And this is in addition to existing federal capacity in this area. And overall, we we have the capacity to store uh, up to 33.5 million ultra frozen and frozen okay. vaccines. I know they're in the freezers, but that will require trucks and freezers. So, so do you have the do you have on the chain? Do you have the trucks that can deliver those at that temperature? Again, if this thing goes, you're going to have to snap into action. The, the need is so intense. Are you confident that you'll have that in January? Evan, um, with all due respect. I am quite aware of the logistics that need to be put in place for the vaccines to be rolled out. It's what I'm working on every single day, just as I did with PPE and vaccine contracts. I'm not asking and if you're aware. I'm just, my job is to make sure Canadians aware. are aware we haven't seen the plan. Exactly. And uh, as I testified at committee this week and have continually come forward with the information relating to our contracts, including X explaining $6 billion worth of contracts on our website. Evan, we are providing as much information in real time as possible because when a vaccine is ready, Canada will be ready also. It is my mission and I'm determined to see it through. Minister, it's always great to have you on the program. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Evan. Take care and have a great weekend. All right, coming up on the program, are major lockdowns coming and our province is even getting the right information on the coming vaccine, do they need a federal government to step up with a national response? We'll speak with the Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister as cases in his province spike. We'll also be joined by the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Dominic LeBlanc. Stay right here with Question Period. The only way for Canada to stop the rapid growth of COVID-19 and keep our health, social and economic systems functioning is for individuals and public health authorities to work together. This won't be forever. Recently, there has been some very good news about vaccine development. Keep this beacon of hope in mind as we all come together apart to do what is needed. So the predictions are chilling. Canada could face up to 60,000 new cases a day of COVID-19 if major restrictions are not immediately in place. That's according to new modeling from the federal government. No province is experiencing a higher spike in cases than Manitoba. New restrictions on gatherings there kicked in on Friday, real restrictions. Hospitals there are close to being overwhelmed. Do they need a federal government to step in with a coordinated national response? And are they getting any news when it comes to the vaccine? There's been a lot of confusion about that. Let's find out. Joining me now is the Premier of Manitoba, Brian Pallister. And Premier Pallister, great to have you here and I hope the family's well. Let me just start, if I, if I might, with the vaccine. Um, has the Fed, because there's a lot of confusion, has the federal government given you and your province any specific numbers of how many Manitoba will get and when you'll get it and like what the distribution plan is going to be? 
Well, those discussions are underway interprovincially, Evan, and uh, I guess I would emphasize that, yeah, for sure, we're all optimistic and hopeful about a vaccine. But I think the key point to remember here is that there isn't one here yet. And so we have to follow the fundamentals. We have to social distance. We have to make sure that we keep our contact numbers down so we don't allow COVID to infiltrate our population more than it has. And getting ahead of COVID by following those fundamentals is the key. The vaccine itself uh, gives us hope. The hope that uh, we can have that vaccine is an enormously helpful thing for a lot of us that are you know, feeling extreme stress, including seniors with asthma like myself. But the fact remains that we don't have it here yet. So until we do, we have to stick to those fundamentals and we must do that to make sure that we're bending that COVID curve down. Right, it's interesting that Saskatchewan and Alberta and Ontario are giving very specific numbers of the doses uh, and when they're gonna get the vaccine, but Manitoba and the federal government are saying, look, there, there's a lot of hurdles. Do, have you heard anything for the federal government about a distribution plan when it actually comes? And do you think we need a nationally coordinated plan on that? Yeah, I think you're, you're on to a very important issue uh, here, Evan, because uh, the, the, no one anticipates that there'll be a massive uh, instant availability of a vaccine and that everyone who wants it will be able to get it right away. And so therefore it's gonna come gradually. And so having criteria, having prioritization clear across the country is, is really important. So we've, I've been urging the Prime Minister, uh, fellow Premiers uh, for a while uh, to make that criteria known to the public. So we have greater certainty. Having a national program so that we don't have a ragtag number of different distribution systems and availability uh, priorities in different jurisdictions is a smart thing to do. Okay, Premier, so you'd like to see a nationally coordinated strategy in terms of the vaccine rollout. Obviously, they're procuring it. But what else do you think, as cases are spiking, look, this patchwork approach hasn't worked outside of the Atlantic bubble, as you know. Mm -hmm. What other roles do you see for the federal government, if any? For example, in B.C., Premier Horgan saying he would like a federally controlled pan-Canadian approach to interprovincial travel. So they want guidelines on, on that what other elements in this crisis do you think the federal government should just step up and kind of centrally control, if any? Well, first of all, I think there's no doubt that the premiers and the prime minister have worked very, very hard together to address this issue. And although the numbers uh, would tell you that the, that system isn't working, the numbers around the whole world would tell you that every system isn't working. We're all in the second wave centrally controlled plans in some jurisdictions have worked and in others have worked badly. So I would say the complementary approach we've taken of working together is better than uh, perhaps many other approaches I've seen in the world. That being said, the federal government needs to step up, as I've said to you many times, and strengthen its contributions uh, to healthcare generally. Premier, I gotta leave it there. I always appreciate you joining us. Premier Pallister from Manitoba, thank you. Thanks, Evan, pleasure. All right, let's get the federal perspective from the Intergovernmental Affairs Minister, Dominic LeBlanc. Uh, first of all, Minister, great to have you on the program. New modeling well, thank you. Good morning, Evan. New modeling projections show that if Canadians increase their contacts by December, Canada could see up to 60,000 COVID cases a day. And if Canadians maintain their current rates, the contact could be 20,000. Either way, it's a nightmare situation. Is the federal government even talking about or prepared to intervene in, in some provinces where case counts are out of control? So I, I think you said two questions, Evan. Are, are we talking about that? Are we planning uh, for these contingencies? Of course we are. 
the government of Canada, like all Canadians, is, is uh, extremely concerned about the rise in cases, about the trend lines, about the positivity percentages in the testing. So all of those metrics that Dr. Tam talks about publicly and talks to us as a, as a federal government about um, are concerning. And we're also talking to provinces and territories uh, many times a day to see what the government of Canada can do to support them, where they see potential challenges coming a week, two weeks from now. I know the Prime Minister said he's not ready to bring down the hammer on a federal controlled sort of strategy. I understand that. But you say you're talking about those and planning. A lot of folks just want to know what will that look like. I'll give you an example. Premier Horgan in BC said, please have a federally coordinated interprovincial travel. That's not happening. What are some things that are on the menu? Well, so, so in terms of what Premier Horgan said, and I know the Prime Minister spoke to him this, this past week as well, uh, Premier Horgan's right in the sense, Evan, it's, it's not helpful for people in the coming weeks uh, to plan to travel uh, interprovincially or outside their city or, frankly, outside their house uh, if they don't have to, their home, uh, in, order, uh, in order to limit contact. So Premier Horgan is correctly identifying an important need to reduce all of that non-essential travel. Um, we agree with him entirely in that regard. But the conversations with provinces and territories, Evan, are around everything from preparation for vaccine rollout to stockpiles of sort of emergency uh, personal protective equipment, uh, a national stockpile of medical equipment like ventilators. Also helping provinces with contact tracers that from the government of Canada using the Canadian Red Cross and potentially, again, the Canadian Armed Forces, if necessary, in long-term care homes or other high-risk circumstances. Uh, Minister, to be fair, though, uh, you're, you're talking about that, and, and it's good to hear, but your government has not rolled out a plan. Let me just ask you, when will your government release the details of the vaccine rollout plan? Evan will release the details as those plans lock into place. But it's important for Canadians to know, and provinces know this, because it's an ongoing conversation literally daily between federal authorities, provincial health authorities. Uh, we have been preparing for some time to receive the hundreds of millions of potential doses that Canada has contractually uh, obtained from seven different pharmaceutical companies. So in terms of buying potential vaccines that will help massively uh, in the control of COVID, Canada is one of the best positioned but, but jurisdictions that, I, I, in the I world. I get that. There's got to be a disconnect, Minister LeBlanc, because Ontario Health Minister Christine Elliott, Alberta's Chief Medical Officer Dina Hinshaw, Saskatchewan, they're all giving real specific numbers about the doses that they're going to receive in their provinces. How are they saying where they're, when they're going to get them and the exact doses? And that the parliamentary secretary of the Minister of Health told me on CTV this past week, he has no idea where they're getting these numbers from. There, there's got to be a disconnect. You're the liaison. Why is there a disconnect? Well, I'm, I may not have characterized it, Evan, as a disconnect, but I can't imagine they said when they're going to get those doses. They did. No, because no, no, we, so they we said don't, January. They said know. January. But That's Evan, we don't said. yet know. We don't yet know, Evan, when those vaccines will be approved by the appropriate health authorities that they're safe and effective. We're hoping and believe that some of it may start in January. But again, those numbers aren't confirmed. People can speculate. There are preliminary 
models that would show if X million vaccines are approved right. in this month, this might be a potential distribution. But all of those models require rigorous scientific assessment to ensure that we're doing it in the best way medically possible. And that's why those numbers, frankly, Evan, aren't reliable yet. But they will be as we get closer to the point, and we hope that that point comes soon, when Canada is right. in a position to receive safe vaccines that are approved for use in Canada. And we'll distribute them, trust me, as effectively and quickly as we possibly can, because we share the sense of urgency that all Canadians have. Uh, this is important. You're, you're saying the numbers that have been quoted by Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Ontario, pretty specific numbers. How many vaccines are gonna get? I know they're extrapolating based on the big numbers, but, and then even rollouts of January, February. And I understand Health Canada's got to approve this. There's a process. I actually appreciate what the federal government's saying on this, but do you believe then, if these are unreliable numbers, that people who are desperate for some hope here, sir, are getting from the provinces, that the provinces are raising false expectations and that you, as your interprovincial minister, got to say to them, guys, uh, hold your, slow your roll here on this stuff. No, Evan, you're the one saying that. I didn't say that. And I wouldn't have said they're unreliable numbers. That was your word. No, that I was your word. You I, literally said I, those aren't reliable. I'm literally using I, I your said word. They're, they're, Evan, I said they're preliminary numbers. And the reason why we think it's important for Canadians to know that governments are working collaboratively together to maximize the number of doses of safe and effective vaccines we can get to Canada as quickly as possible and obviously then transmit them to the populations that are appropriate to receive them first based right. on medical and scientific advice. So that works, that works ongoing. And obviously between Health Canada and provincial authorities, Evan, there are discussions and modeling of what this would look like. But until we have a vaccine approved for use in Canada and we have a firm number that will be delivered on right. a specific date, you'll appreciate that those numbers remain preliminary. All right. Great. I really appreciate that, Mr. LeBlanc. Great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Evan. Have a great morning. Yeah, that's uh, Minister Dominic LeBlanc. Coming up, the scrum breaks it down next. Our special guest will be the former Ontario Premier and current Ontario Liberal MPP, Kathleen Wynne. Our provinces heading for a lockdown. We find out next. Stay with Question Period. I think the point of uh, the point of uh, 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 disagreement is the number of doses that the provinces and territories are projecting to get themselves. And again, I'll repeat, uh, we will be working out and are working out with the provinces and territories a sharing agreement on the number of doses each province and territory can expect to receive when those vaccines arrive in Canada. So the prime minister is begging people to stay home, saying that even in the best case scenario, this isn't gonna be a normal Christmas. Should there be heavier lockdowns? Some provinces though, like Ontario, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, as we've spoken about, are, are talking about when a vaccine will roll out. They've got specific numbers. The federal government, as you just saw, is saying, don't trust those yet, we can't confirm them. Are provinces giving people false hope? Is it all just speculation to talk about that and lots more? The scrum is here. Joyce Napier is CTV's Ottawa bureau chief. Steph Levitz is a political reporter with the Canadian Press. And our special guest for this round is the former Premier of Ontario, still a Liberal MPP, Kathleen Wynne. Great to have all of you join us. Kathleen, i got to start with you. Uh, what do you make of this confusion between provinces like Ontario and the federal government? Ontario, for example, 
promising this vaccine rollout with specific numbers and the and the, the federal government just pushing back. Is that giving people false hope? Well, Evan, you know, the thing that people in this country are most concerned about right now, I think, is when am I going to be able to get this vaccine? When will we be able to get back to normal? So this is the most important thing that governments are doing right now. And for there to be this kind of confusion, for the provincial minister to go out with numbers that were based on an informal conversation and then a, an ad hoc extrapolation based on a per capita number, is it's just irresponsible, Evan, I'm sorry. There needs to be way better communication. And before any minister of health at the provincial level, level says anything about numbers, they need to make sure that that conversation has been confirmed with the federal government and with their counterparts. Because, you know, if Alberta and Ontario are saying something, but Nova Scotia and BC don't have any knowledge of that, where does that leave them? Mm. So I don't know if it's false hope, Evan. I think it is confusion, and that's not something we need right now. Yeah, and uh, Steph, uh, the Manitoba Premier who just joined us, he wouldn't confirm anything. Um, he was on the side of the federal government saying, we don't know yet. By the way, we did ask Ontario's health minister and premier to come on. They weren't available. But what do you make of the fact that there's so much confusion about, as Kathleen said, the critical issue facing Canadians right now, which is when are we getting a vaccine? It, it underscores perhaps a question that lots of political watchers and stuff have been asking about just how transparent and clear is the communication right now between the federal government and their provincial counterparts. They talk a lot about having meetings, they talk a lot about summits, they talk a lot about telephone calls, but the question becomes how much information is truly being passed to, between political leaders at that granular type of level. That's point one. The second point is, I mean, the Ford government in Ontario, and I'm sure as Ms. Wynn can attest to, is under a lot of political pressure right now for its response to the pandemic. To, to throw a number out there is to suggest they have some kind of grasp of it, that they have salvation for their people. By contrast, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney isn't a really big fan of Justin Trudeau, is, con is concerned about the way Trudeau has been managing things. So for him to have a number is to say, look, I've got a hold on this and you don't. But to Ms. Quinn's point, it is awfully irresponsible and it sets up for another political showdown between the federal government and the provincial level when we actually do have these numbers because someone is wrong and someone wasn't telling the truth. So who is going to wear that in the end? Which level of government? Yeah, there's that. And Joyce, on the other hand, um, the federal government has not been very transparent about their rollout plan when this is going to happen. Now, maybe there's too many moving pieces, but, you know, they've got the cold chain, the freezers for some of the vaccines. Who's going to get it? Will the military be involved? What do you make of the fact that they haven't revealed that yet? Well, see, that's part of the problem. I, I, I agree with, with Ms. Wynn. It's true that maybe the provinces, Alberta and anyway, Alberta and Ontario did jump the gun and went a little bit too fast. But the federal government is secretive when it really doesn't need to be secretive. This at a time when Pfizer has asked the FDA for authority to actually start rolling out vaccines in the United States. So politically, this is what they may be looking down in a few weeks at Americans starting to get the vaccine and Canada lagging behind. So, you know, everybody is expecting politically the other shoe to drop. And uh, Steph is right. Who's going to get blamed in the end? Is it going to be the federal government, the pro provincial governments? Nobody wants to carry this uh, because this is a political killer as well. So Kathleen Wynne. But I think this is almost less about the truth and more about um, people's anxiety, right? So let's say that Christine Elliott 
and the Minister of Health in Alberta are trying to push the, the federal government. Let's say they're trying to do that. But they're doing that at the expense of, of people's mental well-being in the country. And that is, that's, again, that's irresponsible. If I were in the Minister of Health's uh, office, I would have gone to the Premier and I would have said, look, we need a number. We need to find out what the heck's going on. We need to push the government. I want to initiate, because remember, this is the Minister of Health of Ontario, largest province in the country. I want to call a meeting of my colleagues across the country, and we're going to make a statement to the federal government, like duke it out at that table and come to some consensus, but don't go out on your own and risk people feeling even more anxious than they already are. That's the part I have trouble with. And, and by the way, Steph, tomorrow, you know, Toronto and Peel region are essentially going into lockdown. So things are spiking out of control. So, you know, the hope for this, this vaccine is obviously at an all time high. Does the federal government, I mean, I, mean I, I get that there's a push-pull going on, as Kathleen Wynne and Joyce have just, just been speaking about. Does the federal government then have a responsibility to say, look, we get that there's a lot of confusion. We are going to kind of, we're, we're the ones that are buying the uh, vaccines. We're the procurement people. We'll take charge of this. Isn't that what they keep trying to say when they say they don't confirm the numbers? I mean, they seem to suggest that they haven't quite figured it out yet. And I think Joyce made a really smart point about the United States and the fact that the minute vaccines start rolling out south of the border, Canadians are going to look down there and they're going to look to their government and go, what is your problem? Why have you not done this? And there is going to be so much political pressure on the federal government to, to disclose what is going on that they should get ahead of it. I mean, this is not going to be a surprise, the political problem posed by the United States. Health Canada is known worldwide to be great. And, you know, Trudeau will come out and say, we have the responsibility to do what's best for Canadians and Health Canada this and Health Canada that. Canadians aren't going to care. Canadians are going to look at Americans getting the vaccine and wonder, why am I not getting one? So they better be, you know, as we've discussed on the show already, they need to be transparent and they need to say what's going on. But then why not have the provincial ministers go out and say that? We need transparency. We need to know what the doses are going to be. We need to be doing the planning. Like if you want to, as a conservative provincial government, if you want to jam the federal liberal government, go out and say that. But don't sacrifice people's peace of mind by, as you said, oh, um, Evan, spitballing a number that makes everybody's head just spin. All right, I, I got to leave it there for today. Kathy Wynn, good to have you on the program. Joyce and Steph okay. are going to join us later for our second scrum. But coming up next, the forgotten pandemic with opioid deaths spiking. They're spiking faster than COVID deaths in British Columbia. Is it time to decriminalize small amounts of all drugs? That's the proposal from the Vancouver mayor. And he joins us next to explain should the federal government support it. Find out next on Question Period. Called the invisible pandemic. Look, COVID-19 deaths have reached a high not seen since the spring, but so have drug overdose deaths. And there are more people dying in British Columbia from drug overdoses than from COVID by a long shot. So is radical action needed? Well, the Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart, backed by the city's public health unit, thinks so. He wants the federal government to approve a plan to decriminalize possession of, of simple possession of illicit drugs, drugs like cocaine, fentanyl, and crystal meth. But will that save lives and will the federal government support the change? Let's find out. Joining us from Vancouver is Mayor Kennedy Stewart. Great to have you on the program, Mayor. Um, 
why do you want to decriminalize simple possession of all drugs? Yeah, I mean, we need a number of measures to tackle what is just a devastating uh, crisis here in our city, and, and it's not a new one. It's been going on for four years. Uh, we, we're having an overdose death a day here in the city, which is just tragic. Uh, it cuts across all income levels, all types of backgrounds of people, and uh, every morning I wake up and there's a new report that somebody else has died, and many, many more have overdosed and been revived. So it is, uh, we need to do everything we can, and decriminalization is, it will help. Okay, so how, how does that, why will decriminalization help? Like, what would that do differently? So, yeah, so here's here's how people die from drug overdoses, is that they uh, they usually can't talk about it with peers or family members or medical professionals, and so they really use these drugs in secret. Uh, now, the, the drugs are poisoned with fentanyl, essentially. Heroin, cocaine, other, uh, other drugs are poisoned with fentanyl. They use alone, they overdose, they die because there's no need to, uh, to revive them with naloxone. Uh, and so what decriminalizing will do is remove a lot of the stigma, people will start talking about their addiction, and then move into the mainstream healthcare services. Okay, so uh, what kind of support do you have for this? Um, do the police support this? Do the Premier support this? Absolutely. Uh, starting at the top of the province, the Premier has already written a letter to the, uh, to the Prime Minister asking for a, for a decriminalization response. Uh, as you mentioned, our Chief Medical Health Officers, uh, Dr. Bunny Henry, for example, as well as the head of our police department, uh, uh, Chief Adam Palmer, who was uh, the head of the National Police Association that is also supporting decriminalization. So, you know, we're all lined up here in Vancouver. And of course, this is all driven by the community who are most affected, those who are uh, living with addiction. So we're, we're all ready to go here, uh, and we just need a response federally. Okay, so let's talk about that. The federal government would need to make a change to the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. Uh, have you had any indication that they would do that? Uh, and by the way, that would, I guess, just be specifically for Vancouver. Yeah, actually, there's an important distinction here. They don't actually have to change the act, so it doesn't have to go through Parliament. They already have uh, authority to just issue an exemption. So it would re be a cabinet decision, not a parliamentary okay. debate, for example. And they've done this before when we brought forward uh, supervised consumption sites back in the early 2000s. Okay, uh, you know the critics, uh, and you and I have spoken about this. The fear could be this is a free pass to drug dealers, that they can now walk around dealing these very drugs that are killing people uh, with impunity. So what levels of simple possession will there be? Would there be different for every drug? Yeah, and that's a very good point, is that because this is the first time this will be tried in Canada, first of all, it's we're trying to do it just within the boundaries of the city of Vancouver, so it's a limited geographic area. And then we would, of course, have a team made up of health professionals, a federal agency uh, officials, the police, determining what levels are best uh, to, to uh, improve people's health. What, um, okay, so you don't know those levels yet. Some folks might not really appreciate the difference between legalization and decriminalization. If you're going to decriminalize, why not legalize? Or why just decriminalize? You know, that, that's probably an important part of the debate, but we've got to get rolling right now. I, I don't really think the country is ready for a, a discussion of uh, legalization of all drugs. Uh, however, decriminalization is much different. Legalization means basically it'd be like cannabis or alcohol where you anybody can produce heroin and under regulation and then sell it in, in retail outlets of course that's not what we want here what we want is that when people are caught with illicit substances they're not charged with crime and that's decrim
Mayor, is there any jurisdiction that's done this to criminalize all drugs like this for simple possession and it's actually reduced the death rate? Yeah, I mean, Portugal's been doing this for a very long time, and it's a frequently uh, cited model. Uh, so they decriminalized back in the 2000s. Uh, they, uh, the difference between Portugal and Vancouver is the Portuguese drug supply is not poisoned with fentanyl. Uh, and that's why, uh, you know, this this one, you, you're used to using a drug, you, you've got a stable supply of this, all of a sudden it's poisoned with fentanyl and you're dead. Uh, so we're not, they're not seeing this uh, in Portugal, but we're definitely seeing this here. So they have a very good uh, long-term uh, studies and data that we can look at to help us. And Oregon has just passed a, uh, a referendum saying they're moving in the same direction in terms of decriminalizing small amounts. All right, I got to leave it there today. Uh, Mayor Stewart, always good to have you on the program. Thanks. Nice to be here. Coming up, the Scrum returns. Our special guest will be Green Party leader Anami Paul. Is the federal government's new plan to get to net zero the real deal or green smog? She'll weigh in on that and lots more. Stay right here with Question Period. Provinces have lots of tools at their disposal, uh, and I'm not looking to bring in a federal, uh, federal hammer. Uh, to try and do things uh, when we've seen provinces uh, be very effective at doing them themselves. But I will add my voice to all those voices across the country, uh, from doctors to premiers to mayors who are saying, let's do what we need to do right now and flatten this curve to get this explosion of cases in the second wave back under control. So have the provinces lost control of the pandemic? Is it time for a national COVID-19 strategy? Well, that's what uh, the Green Party leader, Enemy Paul, is calling for. But the Prime Minister has resisted. Are stronger measures needed? To talk about that and the federal government's new legislation to get to net zero emissions by 2050. Is that realistic? The Scrum is back. Joyce Napier is back from CTV. Steph Levitz from the Canadian Press is back. And our special guest this round is none other than the Green Party leader herself, Anami Paul. Good to have you uh, all back. And Anami Paul, good to have you here. Let's start with the pandemic. Numbers are spiking. You were in that briefing with the Prime Minister and other leaders uh, late last week. You want a coordinated national plan but provinces don't seem to want that. The federal government doesn't seem to want to, quote, bring down the hammer. What's the case for that? What I want is what the frontline workers and what uh, our Canadian Medical Association has said they want. That's what I want. I want an approach that is more coordinated, that is more collaborative. Um, it's very clear that having 13 different approaches to what really is a national emergency is not working. And so what we need is to be driven by the science, by the data, uh, by what the health officials are telling us. And it should be for them to decide which things are best left to the uh, local jurisdictions and which things really need a national approach. Okay, Steph, let's talk about that because that has been a really uh, big deal here, okay? Because, you know, when Justin Trudeau was asked about it, he said, look, we're, we're, the provinces can make those decisions. Where's the line where the federal government should come in and just say the patchwork ain't working, cases are spiking, we've got to take control or not? The issue, I think, you know, lies in the Constitution, right, in the clear division of powers, and this is a federalist system, and there's only so many levers Justin Trudeau has to pull, and I think he alluded to that very clearly on Friday in his briefing, 
where he talked about you know, some of the supports the government is choosing to put in place financially. Right? That's one thing the federal government can do. Right? They can say that, hey, if you're ordered closed by a local public health order, we can backstop that. We can help pay your bills. But when it comes to forcing uh, people to stay home, for businesses to shut, that's really beyond the scope of their mandate. Could they close interprovincial borders to travel? Perhaps. Could they force people to all somehow get that COVID app on their phone? There's, met there's methods to do that as well. He was asked about that on Friday. But his options here are pretty limited. I mean, if he could announce an, a national mask mandate, for example, as I know you know politicians in the U.S. are thinking about. But again, the take-up of that uh, without policing, which again would fall to local health authorities, those actions could be meaningless. Yeah, and, and Joyce, not only are there jurisdictional issues, health care is run by the province, a, a lot of people have said, look, the federal government doesn't run health care, they fund health care. So taking over long-term care homes, why would a federal government who doesn't do anything like that be better at it? So where do they just say, look, this is all provincial jurisdiction, we'll fund it, and where do they say, COVID's out of control, the provinces aren't taking, they're not doing the right thing, as the Prime Minister said, and we've got to sort of force their hand. Well, this is the problem with the politics of a pandemic. Uh, we know what is necessary. Um, the Prime Minister on Friday took a tone that was so dramatic and said something that was very clear. Our lives are in danger. I understand the Constitution, I understand the division of power, but I also understand that the federal government has a duty and saying, okay, everybody, there's a fire, but I'm not going to call the firemen is not a solution. So I think sometimes you've got to take not a hammer, but I think maybe a sledgehammer to this and shut it down for a while because it isn't working and people are going to die and our, and, you know, our frontline workers are telling us the hospitals won't right. be able to take this. So I don't know what yeah, else okay, we need. Under what authority, though? Uh, like, well, under what authority? What is he going to do? Invoke the Emergency Measures Act, which the provinces have to agree to anyway? Like, his levers of power are so well, limited he can here. Try, but he can the, try that. He can try something. Instead of just standing in front of his house and saying, this is really bad, but try something, maybe a little bit of pressure on the provinces. The provinces are failing, and they're failing their people, and we know that. Okay, well, let me go to you, Anna, because I know you want to jump in, but uh, Stephanie is also raising the point. He's ruled out the Emergencies Act, and, and, and that's got its own limits. Uh, what, under what authority, and what could the federal government do, given the fact that the provinces are not interested in them, him uh, weighing in on their jurisdiction? Well, I don't know if he's put that question directly just like that to them. We're not talking about the federal government imposing anything. Has, has an invitation been extended? Has the prime minister said, listen, we can see that what we're doing all, all on our own, each of us, is not working. Um, can we get together and can our health officials get together and figure out what are the things that would be best served by having a national approach? Things like testing and tracing, things like a national coding system so we actually know coast to coast to coast what it means to be in a red zone. Things like national messaging around when and how to use personal protective equipment. Um, Joyce is absolutely right. What we are doing is not working. And if our federal system of government cannot uh, find a way to protect people, then that's the kind of thing that throws the system into crisis. This is a national emergency. It requires a national solution. Uh, look, the prime minister said, look, the Atlantic bubble did the Atlantic bubble on their own. Each province has a different um, landscape and challenge that they're dealing with. What do you make of, of, of this pressure for the prime minister to step up and centrally control things that he 
that are way outside of the usual federal jurisdiction. Are we adults or are we children? Because I think the hard question needs every single Canadian needs to look themselves in the mirror and ask this very same question the Prime Minister asked them to ask themselves, which is, do I need to go out today? Why are we, why are we necessarily abrogating our personal responsibility to the federal government to keep us safe? Do they need to make sure we have PPE? Absolutely. Do they need to make sure there's an adequate and robust supply of testing and the capacity to process those tests? Absolutely. But at a certain point, who transmits this disease? It's not the government. It's people. And people need to give them their heads a shake and ask themselves, do they really need to go to the movies? Do they really need to have a wedding with 50 people? Because if the government is going to make those laws and people are ignoring them anyway, what difference does it make? It's people spreading this disease and people own this responsibility. All right, can I just quickly move to the net zero plan that the, the, in the past week the federal government released? They want to get to net zero emissions by 2050. That means um, either they plant trees or they have carbon capture and storage, so there's zero, essentially a net zero uh, CO2 emissions. There will be five-year benchmarks. They say they'll be legally binding. There'll be reports on that. But the first um, benchmarks won't really be tested until 2030. And there are no penalties for missing targets. Anami Paul, I spoke to the Minister of the Environment. He said this is a transformative moment. What do you make of it? It is, it is smoke and mirrors. Uh, there, as, as you said, this is we, we're not even looking at setting a new target until 2030. We're not even looking about uh, looking at uh, when that target uh, will be set for maybe even the life of this parliament. And I will point out that we already have signed um, international obligations to meet targets. We're failing to meet them, and there aren't any penalties for that. There's nothing in here that is going to get us to net zero by 2050. Uh, there is no plan, and the accountability mechanisms that we see in C12 are simply not going to be enough to make sure that we get there. We First, we need a plan, and then we need enforcement mechanisms right. to make sure that we actually fulfill that plan. Where is the plan? That is the question. All right, I got to leave it there for today. Enemy Paul, Steph Levitz, Joyce Napier, great to have the three of you on the program as always. And I want to thank all of you for joining us, engaging in the great debates of uh, our democracy in a pretty critical time. And it is a hard time for so many people. So do take care of yourselves, be patient with each other, have a little empathy. It's, it's going to be tough, but we're in it together. And we'll be back here in seven short days.